Today's episode is brought to you by the Tin House Workshop, which will once again be offering online winter workshops and YA workshops in 2022. Taking place in late January and February, these five-day workshops include craft lectures and conversations, generative exercises, manuscript evaluations, and world-class karaoke. A variety of scholarships are available, as are application fee waivers. Applications open October 4th, and the deadline to apply to both the YA workshop and the winter workshops is October 24th. More information can be found at tinhouse.com workshop. For the second Tin House Live episode of 2021, recorded at this summer's Tin House Writers Workshop, we have a conversation between poets Destiny O'Birdsong and Danica Kelly called Negotiating the Love and Renouncing the Rest. Destiny O'Birdsong is a poet, novelist, and essayist whose debut poetry collection Negotiations was published in 2020 by Tin House and longlisted for the 2021 Penn Volcker Award. Elizabeth Acevedo said of Birdsong's collection, Reading negotiations is like walking into a boxing match with an indefatigable fighter. You will be struck, and it will hurt. But for all of its ferocity and how it grapples with womanhood, sexuality, assault, and race, this collection is also full of wonder, of forgiveness, of tenderness, the like of which ultimately delivers the most powerful sucker punch. Destiny Birdsong's debut novel, Nobody's Magic, is forthcoming in February 2022 from Grand Central Publishing. Danica Kelly is the author of Bestiary from Grey Wolf, winner of the Cave Canem Poetry Prize, a Hurston Wright Legacy Award for Poetry, and the Kate Tufts Discovery Award. The collection was also longlisted for the National Book Award and was a finalist for a Publishing Triangle Award and a Lambda Literary Award. And most recently, she's the author of the poetry collection, The Renunciations, out this year from Grey Wolf, a collection poet Ellen Bass describes as follows. In her vital new poetry collection, Danica Kelly harnesses, quote, the air, the earth, and flame to renounce the old gods, child abuse, violence, racial injustice, generational trauma. The Renunciations is a work of stunning power, alive with haunting images, complex metaphor. And while Kelly looks unsparingly at pain and suffering, her own and others, with transformation comes joy. Before we begin today's conversation, one that asks, among other things, what it means to center oneself in your own work, in your own story. Near the end of this conversation, you'll hear the voice of a third person, Lance Cleland, the director of the Tin House Workshops. We left this in because he asks a great final question to both of them. And he also expresses something I think everyone will feel by the end of this conversation, a special gratitude to be able to witness a conversation between not only two remarkable artists, but two remarkable artists who are also close friends, 
a dynamic that reminds me of a previous Ten House Live episode with Garth Greenwell and Brandon Taylor in that regard, where in both cases, you are not only getting to witness a conversation that can only go places because of where they have gone together before this hour, but also as the hour progresses step by step, you feel not only that you're witnessing this closeness between them, but also being let into the circle with them. Now, without further ado, here are Destiny O'Birdsong, Danica Kelly, Negotiating the Love and Renouncing the Rest. Hi, friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to see you, Destiny. It's good to <laughs> I'm so see happy to be with you. Me too. I'm, I'm like, I'm excited. My only concern is like, how do we fit a conversation into one hour because we don't really do that so <laughs> right, right. I'm it's like a, it's a it's two hours minimum but we're right. gonna we're gonna observe the limit today we will we will <laughs> absolutely absolutely so we decided that we were going to just start out with some poems uh and mm-hmm. you'll read one and I'll read one and I'm gonna let you go first thank you uh so I thought uh fitting in with the theme of uh, our conversation today, I would read, the moon rose over the bay, I had a lot of feelings. The home I've been making inside myself started with a raising, a brush clearing, the thorn and nettle, the blackberry bush falling under the bush hog. Then I rested, a cycle fallow said, winter said, the ground is too cold to break pony, said, I almost set fire to it all, lit a match, watched it ghost in the wind. Came the thaw, came the melting snowpack, the flooded river, new groundwater, the well risen. I stood in the mud field and called it a pasture, stood with a needle in my mouth and called it a song. Everything rushed past my small ears, were in the leaves, were in the wing and the wood. About time to get a hammer, I thought, about time to get a nail and saw. Thank you so much. I just read that poem a few days ago, and it's so much better when, when like, I hear you read it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm going to read a poem I don't read often, um, and it's called Pickle Goddess. It's, it's written uh, after ASMR The Chew. If you've ever watched any of her uh, um YouTube videos, you'll understand how captivating she is and why this poem is, you know, about her and what she makes me feel when I watch her. (laughs) So pickle goddess. I'll eat my supplicants wearing my carpet green suit and red lipstick the mothers warned me about. I do it for the stain of vinegar beneath my loose crown, for the way it changes the shape of my mouth. I could be silently singing hosannas or having orgasms, followed by the sound of taut skin breaking between teeth. On the days my joints don't ache, I lift the gallon from the bottom of the fridge. The candy lady is dead, so I do the honors. Fish for the big one, fingers puckering in the chilled brine, the small cut on my knuckle rinsed alive again with want. I choose the one with the deep color on one side, lighter everywhere else. Carve a cross in the pale butt, stick a Jolly Rancher inside. I still know how to eat around it, 
pushing its winnowing jewel deeper with my tongue. Back in the day, I'd rub two quarters in my pocket and sidle down the block, palate already itching for that first note of garlic like a money shot. I'm so glad my mama don't pay for nothing these days and nobody is around to tell me I'm smacking too loud, that no one can see the small gap between my incisor and canine where the best morsels get stuck and I have to suck them free. The women in my family raise a hand to cover that space when they laugh, but I live for what stings without bitterness, for what is still edible after months and months discounted on a shelf, for what salt serves as sacrament, for false fruit, for whatever sates me into a raw-mouthed sleep, for whatever in you is ready to relish what's left in me, unjarred unlicked and still sweet. Thank you. Hey, bird song. So good. <laughs> I love that line. I'm like, what's it? I'm glad my mama isn't paying for anything. Right? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's never free, right? <laughs> it's never free. It's never free. Um, oh. um, well, shall we begin? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so I'm just going to go in the order that, you know, I frantically sent to you yesterday. Uh, (laughs) And the first question is, by literary standards, our first books came late, which, you know, I think is a fiction, but um, Mm -hmm. it's definitely safe to say we spent a lot of time like writing in a certain degree of solitude, like Mm -hmm. Um, Mm pre-book. So let's start with the before the book question or questions. What does it mean to write in the spaces before publication? In other words, what does it mean to renounce what it means to be a successful writer beyond the ambition for a book? Um, mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about why that's important to both of us. So I just wanna, yeah. 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 Well, I think there's that narrative, right? That, that pushes people or that it feels like there's so much pressure to publish, 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 publish. Like it's, it's so, it's so intense and that pressure moves us away from the work or it can move us away from the work, right? Um, it can move us away from connecting deeply, from following our own interests. And it, it seems to me uh, from what I know about your process and also what I understand about my own process that the work is the thing, like it's number one. So it was, I, I was actually really happy I wasn't happy at the time. I was grumpy, um, <laughs> but uh, like I graduated from my MFA program in 2008. My first book came out in 2015 uh, or 2016 rather. And uh, so I had like all of this time to really figure out what keeps me writing, right? Because I wasn't like, people were not scooping up the poems. You know, the poems were not getting scooped. The poems were not being solicited. Uh, and so I had to know what it, what it meant to be a writer just by myself. Right. Um, and I, that, I feel like that time has served me really, really well. Um, because even after the success of the first book, and I was really, really, really fortunate, incredibly fortunate. Um, I had all of that time in practice before to just like do what I wanted to do to follow my interest to cement or, I don't know, engage that habit of practice separate from the machine of publication. What about you? 
Yeah, like yes to all of that, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think that I do my best work in in solitude. I do my best work when like nobody's looking for it, you know, because I get to. Um, <laughs> we talked about this, but I I, I talked about how um, your poem in uh, Bestiary, what uh, what gave porn has done for me hope I got that right yeah like the sort of the last lines like and I can come on anything I like like I I see that as both like a, a practice like a sexual practice a practice of desire but also like um an artistic practice right that like what happens in the intimate spaces of my writing desk or my writing couch because I always write on the couch but um like that that's just for me and like anything can happen there like I can I can skeet anywhere and you know it, <laughs> it might you know <laughs> it might get out to the rest of the world but it might not and that's okay um it's it it gives me a certain degree of freedom and like you know lust for innovation and willingness to try new things like people have been asking about the novel, like, when did you decide? And it was like, I was like, it was really just some exper experimentation at first. Of course, like once I realized where I was going, you know, I, I was giving it everything I had, which I do for every book, but it really began as like just an idea that I gave myself time to play around with. And I think that for me, that is only possible when I am not thinking about publishing and the expectations of publishing and, and those things. Cause I was working on the novel and not writing poems and that had to be okay. And it was okay for me internally, but I think if I had been thinking career-wise I would have been anxious about it and it would have affected what I did. I think that's one of the things that I love the most about you as a writer and as an artist is that you, you really do follow what you're interested in. I remember it was like years ago, you were like, I'm working on short stories. And I was like, what? And you were like, I'm just doing, I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, what's, what about the poems? I thought to myself and I thought like, that's like, you just do what you want to do. And I wish more people did what they wanted. You know what I mean? Like in terms of making art, it's like, we could just do whatever we want to do. Um, and I think there's that sort of alternate pressure too um for folks to be writing other like things that they not, might not want to write you know like people are always like will you write an essay not always they happen sometimes people are like do you have an essay do you have a memoir and I'm like I just write poems and then I never hear from them again there's like no reply <laughs> to that email <laughs> they're just saying oh poems what's that the indignation um, it's real yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um I know I love that we, we talked a little bit too about like you know the I'm skipping around but like we talked about like how we like spread out on the page or choose not mm -hmm. to spread out and like and so like yeah like genre wise right like they're like those are like deliberate decisions but even mm -hmm. within the poems themselves like within the books themselves how we show up like structurally on a page um I think is a way that we we both sort of talked about as like a centering of oneself in one's mm -hmm. work um which I think is really important I want to talk about that because you just said you said some you said some really beautiful things in our last conversation about that about like the like sort of like I think I think we're similar in this way but like growing up in environments where men are centered no matter how terrible they are and so you're sort mm -hmm. of like on the fringes 
sometimes on the fringes of your own life, like trying to make space or trying to teach them how to give you space. And so the work becomes, um, the work can become for some of us a way to, to, to recenter ourselves in our own lives. But I just want you to talk a little bit about that because you said some dope stuff that I cannot quote. So <laughs> talk to us, Danica. Well, I'm always happy to talk about this one. My beloved's gonna walk by in the background. There's Melissa Pibos, everyone. Um, <laughs> I, it took me a long time to figure out, and I would say like most of my life, to figure out first that I was not at the center of my own life but then also why, like what was the, what were the stories and my family of origin that were keeping me from being anywhere near the center of my own life? And I mean, it's patriarchy, right? Like it's like, it's a super basic answer to that question. It's a super, it's a very old story, but in my family, it is very much like, what do the men want? What do the men need? If the men are meeting this very minimum bar, great. Like they're wonderful. They're excellent. Uh, meanwhile, uh, everyone else in the family sort of working to, you know, strategize how to be safe <laughs> in those spaces and sometimes committing harm, right? Like in, in trying to like make sure the men are okay. Like I, like there are, there are plenty of folks in my family who are willing to harm themselves, um, or to bear harm, uh, in the face of, like instead of pushing back against that. And poetry really gave me a way um, into inquiry, into exploration, um, and gave me space to, to, to write into and against those narratives, right? Uh, against my family narratives, uh, to, to think about like, what does it mean, just in terms of content, like even before form in some ways, in terms of content, what does it mean to love someone who wants to leave? right? Like how to practice like loving when someone wants to go. What does it mean if I want to go? <laughs> and the poems then become a place to contain or manage or shape the feeling. Uh, and for me, I like little poems, I think because my feelings are big. And so I need like a little container to like work with a little piece of the feeling. Um, but in the new book, some of the poems are, are longer and they're much longer than I'm used to writing. But that's because I was writing about things that I had not explored before. Uh, so like writing about childhood sexual abuse, writing about suicidality and suicide attempts, like that actually needed, I needed more space for that. Um, and so those poems took up more space than I wanted them to. And there's something too in sort of in, in yielding to, to what I need instead of what I think I should do. Um, that has been uh, really transformative and and not, and I don't know that it would have been possible without poetry, right? So, and I know you have some similar stuff too, Destiny, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it's, I, I always get a little nervous when people sort of say like, writing is healing, because yeah, it's not that, it's not that clear cut, it's not that straight of a line, right? But it's a tool by which I have, I have, I have uh, completed some of my healing, <laughs> right? Like, um, because it is, it becomes a space where like you, like I can explore um, feelings that I am still processing and also like deconstructing some of those really toxic narratives about who should be at the center of my life, right? Like 
I had to restructure my faith because like the God I was taught was just as patriarchal and problematic as the men who were teaching it, who were teaching him to be. And I'm like, I had to get to a point where I was like, I don't think, I don't think we, we, we talking about the same person. <laughs> like, um, and writing helped that like, um, and being able to get messy with that stuff. And like, um, even more so than things like prayer and meditation, like being able to say, I don't understand this. I don't agree with this. These things that I have been asked to do are not possible for me. Also, you know, I ain't straight. <laughs> like, I was like in my early 30s, like, oh, okay, damn. <laughs> I didn't know because everybody was telling me that I couldn't be. Um, and so, yeah, the page does that for me. And I think for me, like my poems are big and long. Um, I think for the same reason that, you, that yours are short, right? It's just like the the um for me it's the audacity to sort of put those things down and to put them everywhere right and to sort of turn them over and closely examine them and like examine them alongside other things and you know or like put them in a container of a poem and like shake it and see what comes out <laughs> I like those uh those eight balls we had as kids you like shake it and see see, see what it tells you <laughs> um and yeah, so like in that, in that way, it can be healing, right? But um, the writing practice for me, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in terms of like, not necessarily always writing for publication. Like I started doing like my morning pages because it's some, it was something my therapist told me that like, you know, oh, if you, if you wake up early and you write these three pages, you might feel less anxious during the day, or you might be able to sort of sort out some of your feelings in the really quiet space of the early morning before all of the day's, you know, requirements and obligations kind of crowd, you know, crowd out these, um, an, an opportunity for solitude and self-reflection and self-care. Um, and so, being able to hold the practice of writing as that too, in addition to like a profession, a career, a calling is so necessary. And, and, and I can, I find myself retreating sometimes from the professional word to go back to these little safe spaces of writing. Like I did that last night. I thought I was doing something yesterday that I doing something emotionally dangerous that I was not, I should not be doing. And I'm like, hmm. I, I'm like, you know, finish your task because I was doing um I was doing some prep work for today's workshop and I was like finish your task go sit on your beanbag chair and write about what you're doing right now <laughs> like it's mm -hmm. my time out <laughs> <laughs> and so and that's so helpful like it's so it's such a necessary part of my practice even though that stuff will never be seen and it'll never be in the archive because I'm burning it because y'all don't need to know everything <laughs> you don't <laughs> Folks don't need to know everything. No. That is that is absolutely that is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, there was something in what you said that just like it's like the things that I've discovered about myself in writing, where what I'm doing is centering what I'm interested in. I'm centering the questions that I have. I'm centering my own inquiry, right? Like in my artistic practice. Um, like hearing that reflected in what you do just makes so much sense. I think that's why like, like we're buds, right? <laughs> it's like, we're like, right, we're just gonna do what we wanna do. Um, but I remember I was giving a reading and there were these, and I, 
I don't remember what the question was, but I remember the answer to the answer I gave was, well, I'm interested in my own thinking. And people laughed. And I was like, but what's funny about that? Like, I'm actually interested in the way that I think. I'm interested in where these, these ideas about who gets to do what, who has access to what, where I am situated inside a larger cultural context and where I'm situated. Like, I'm interested in where that comes from. Where did those stories come from? But I think it's like being a Black queer person standing up in front of a room of mostly white people and saying that, I think folks were, they were like, what? Like what? Because <laughs> I the work my work does seem so and is like so personal, right? Like it it feels like folk. I I sometimes suspect people believe they are getting everything, and they are getting so little, right? Like they're getting the inquiry, not the. I'm not writing about the experience. The poems are actually like there's a recounting of an experience so that I can conduct the inquiry. Right, but I think people are like, no, it's the experience. And that's the only thing that matters. And it's like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. It's the experience to figure out the why, you know, or mm -hmm. also not no, but, and also, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think the presumption is, is that for black people, for black women, for black queer people, for black queer women, that like our experiences are really all that matters, right? Because mm -hmm. like, there's this sort of like, sometimes I feel this sort of like, um, uh, like vicarity, right? That like, oh, I get to step into your life for a few minutes. And it's sort of like this, you know, like fetishizing uh, presumption that like I am stepping into this life, seeing everything and knowing everything, right? And uh -huh. like, I was talking about this with a friend. I was like, you know, people don't even understand. Um, well, I, mean, I, can't, I can't speak for all Black people, but I'm like, there are certain conversations that non-Black people will never experience with Black people because as soon as they enter the room, uh, what is possible in the room changes. Um, and yeah. and that, yeah, right. And I think to a certain degree, that is that can also be true about the work. Like um, I was, uh, we were workshopping one of my students' poem, uh, one of the workshop attendees' poems yesterday. And I was talking to him about like how sometimes like we should not have to do this, but sometimes as black poets, we have to be mindful of, you know, the willful, the willful presumptions that white people might make when they're reading our work, right? Mm. And that makes it tricky to say, to write a poem about a black person and the gorilla, right? Mm, um, mm -hmm. Because people are, people are gonna connect those dots, even if there are other dots on the page telling them to go in a different direction. <laughs> they're like, there are two dots. Right, there are two, two dots. dots. There's, there's Black person, gorilla. And that's all, mm -hmm. that's all I know, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think the audacity to, to, to make clear that like, no, you will never know everything, mm -hmm. one, right? You are getting what I'm giving you. I, and that is, that is my agency and my work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think is a really powerful articulation and like so yeah. true. Yeah. 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 And I, and I feel that when I come to other artists work, right, who are from communities that I'm not a part of, and I think, oh, there's something happening and I don't quite get it, but I'm like, but I'm not going to ask, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, Right, writer, tell me what this is. Explain this to me, right? I'm just gonna be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the parts I get, and I'm gonna try not to bring in, you know, a bunch of weird stuff. <laughs> like that's the other <laughs> side of that practice, right? Is, is also like being outside of things sometimes, mm. you know. And, um, and I think there's like centering oneself in one's work, which I'm a fan of, 
And that also means that sometimes the reader is, is decentered, mm. right? Like the reader is not like people are, I, I think this happens often with like younger writers, writers who are earlier in their writing practice and career. They're like, when do you start thinking about audience? And I'm like, I'm thinking about me. like 95% of that process is like, what is this poem doing for me? What am I getting out of this, out of this practice and process? And when I'm thinking about the reader, what I'm thinking about is, is this poem, is this poem potentially harmful is because of what I've been writing about recently? Is there a way I can extend kindness to people who have had similar experiences to mine, the kind of kindness I would want to have extended, but I'm not worried necessarily that the reader needs to get all my references or even has to have the same cultural references because, because I, I don't know, that's to some degree, that's not my business. So, wait, <laughs> and wait. I don't like worrying about things that aren't my business, you know? Yes. Yes. You told me that we only have two jobs. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We got two jobs. Got two, we jobs. Got two things that we got to do. And if um, you know what those two jobs are, you know what those two right, jobs you know. are. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, I would love to talk about, um, oh, I'm looking at the chat. (laughs) Um, I, you know, you said something that made me think about something you talked a little bit with Nikki Finney about at your book launch. Um, and I find myself talking about this too, with my own work, like writing about, uh, particularly writing about sexual violence and writing about the perpetrators mm. of sexual violence and dealing with them in um, sometimes unexpected ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think people are always sort of curious about that. Like, um, and <laughs> while I try to come up with my response to this, <laughs> I'm going to ask you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like every day is a different response, but um, I want to ask you about that because I, I was rereading their renunciations earlier um, last week. And I was like, wow, like that really happens in this book in ways that like, just like strike me in a different way every time. And it's not like, I mean, it really does something in terms of like complicating our narratives about sexual violence and our narratives about how we talk about it. And I'm just so grateful for that. But um, talk to me about that. Again, while I, uh, I, I craft my own. Yeah, <laughs> I want to talk for a second about my dissertation. Uh, <laughs> so I wrote, I'm so sorry, this is happening to everyone. Um, I wrote a dissertation uh, about representations of white manhood and masculinity in contemporary American Westerns. That's what I wrote my dissertation on. Why? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but what I was interested in um, was that there was a, a script Um, about white manhood and white men that did not match my experiences of interacting with white men. And the script was like, white men don't have feelings or friends and they never talk about whatever. I don't know, it was nonsense. Um, But the point was not reparative necessarily. The point was not to like rehabilitate white men. That was not the point. The point was if we take white men out of if we just say that they are not a part of community interaction, they aren't, they aren't responsible to community, then their actions sort of sit outside of that. And I was like, no, we gotta put them in community so that, they, so that we can just more accurately and more ethically understand um, the harms mm. of white man- manhood and masculinity, both 
as they are enacted on white men, but also like folks who aren't white men, right? Uh, and that helped me think about my dad, who uh, is very complicated, very complicated man, um, who had a lot of power um, and who sort of sat in some ways a little bit outside the family. Like whenever anyone talked about him, they were like, he goes to work, he brings home his check, he comes home. And like, that was the bar. But my dad's childhood was like really fraught. It was very complicated. Um, and I, I was... I was worried that I was flattening him out in the way that I thought about the harm that he had committed against me. Uh, I wanted to think about him as a person because he is a person with a very, very, like he has his own trauma history, you know? Uh, and I didn't get anywhere new on the other side of that. It's not like I like looked at my dad's background and the little bits that I know and I thought, oh, well that explains everything. <laughs> I was like, no, he's still like really awful. As it turns out, he's like a bad dude, uh, but he's a bad dude who's also been hurt, right? And this isn't a hurt people, hurt people kind of comment, but just like, what does it mean to, to think about somebody as a person, to sort of think about them being responsible, not as a monster, right? But as, a, as another person who chose to commit harm. Like that to me, it feels more devastating, um, yes. right? Like, I'm just like, ooh. Okay, because that's not a choice I would have made. And that's not a choice I'm making right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes. You, oh my gosh, you took the words out of my mouth. I was thinking about that, like that um, sort of like, <laughs> I guess decentering the monster narrative actually holds them more accountable, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, monsters are just monsters, right? Like they do, you know, you see them, you, you run, you know, you presume they're mm -hmm. going to do bad things. And that's not how abusers present themselves. Typically, that's not how they, that, that's not how they move through the world. And for mm -hmm. me, yeah, like it was about that and like understanding the violence I experienced in the larger context of, of community, right? Um, and in the larger context of like, in my, in my case, like black respectability and like mm -hmm. just all, there's like all these things that come to play in those moments of violence. And, and I think too, like, and I think this actually sort of makes me think also about the sort of solitary practice of writing is that, you know, my, like my journey of survival has also been about declassifying myself as a monster, right? Like sort yeah. of like, right? So like, like that this didn't happen to me because, because I'm bad, I'm horrible, I've done stupid things, right? And so like putting us side by side and examining us both as people, uh -huh. like just make, you know, it just, it uncovers some, some truth, some facts, some realities, right? That that really debunk those myths about us both being monstrous mm -hmm. somehow. Mm -hmm. um, and I think your that's- Your poem- go, No, no, please go. I'm just thinking like the, the poem, I think it's Fable, yes. right? Where you, where, you know, there's the, the figure, there's the man inside the monster, mm -hmm. right? Like inside the sort of, what's the, is it? The bear is suit. It a, it's a bear suit. I was like, what is the suit? Right. So there's like a man inside the bear suit running around, like scaring people and like mm -hmm. harming people, knocking people down. Yeah. Knocking people down. And I, what your poem, what your poem is like getting at is that there's a man and it's not a bear. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like the, mm -hmm. and, and so then what comes after, what comes later in that section, because that opens like a, a really powerful section in the book, um, is like, there's a man there. There's a person there. It's not, it's not the bear suit, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so like, in that, that way, like you were like, ab like absolutely disrupting, right? Like the narrative, like the narrative is like, here's a monster. Mm. Here's, here's a bear. <laughs> and I feel mm. like that poem is like, nah, it's a dude. No, it's a dude. It's a dude. But the bear, but, dude. but the bear suit and the people's sort of like you know fear of the suit actually makes mm -hmm. it more powerful because nobody's mm -hmm. willing to like no nobody's willing to take the head off mm -hmm. <laughs> and be like, hey, it's that dude. We know that dude. Yeah, right, we know, we that, know dude. that guy. He mows, he mows my lawn on Saturdays, right? Yeah. Like, um, yeah, yeah. I feel the same way about your work. I, I, I was, I was tracing this kind of arc of like what happens in each section and um, like how there's this, um, how there is sort of like this examination of the father, right? It's like, you know, these, these sort of like, you know, what, what was the childhood moment that sort of like turned that, you know, that like made things the way they were. And then mm -hmm. I love how just in the last section is just about you, like encountering dead objects. <laughs> There's so many. I mean, right. New York, full of dead things. The deer, things. the crow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And that it's, and it's funny because there's such, there's such gore in those final poems, but there, but there's also like these, like there's, there's rebirth happening, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are dead things all around, but the way the book ends, you know, time to get a hammer and a nail, like time, time to mm -hmm. build some shit. Like, all right, mm -hmm. you know, this has happened. And yeah, yeah, I, I just, I really appreciate that. But I think that also happened at the end of your book too. Like, like there's this way that the speaker sort of moves into love and solitude um, mm -hmm. and like care for herself. You know, and I think that like what you were saying earlier was like, there is a way that like who we are just in terms of like our identity markers um, in, in the U.S. globally to some degree sort of make us less than human, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can choose to engage those narratives or we can just like write about like being people, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, like our, like, I don't think either of us is interested in saying like, I'm a person, I matter. We're just like, either you know that or you don't know that. <laughs> and if you don't know that that's again like that's not my business to try to educate you into understanding my personhood um and into understanding my speaker's personhood right that like the poems are I think both of our work is so grounded in the self um in the materiality of just like being alive you know mm -hmm. and like and and in observing other people you know cracked eggs um, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the deer carcass on the side of the road, whatever, whatever we're doing, whatever we're doing, uh, beautiful old ladies, mm -hmm. um, yes. in the, in, in the, the restaurant, deli. you know, in the deli, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that there's like, there's just, there's something about like the, the project of our work that feels to me just so, um, unassailable, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that, yeah, we're just like, we're here. We're still here. I think that's the thing that happens in like both of our books is that at the, in the, at the end, we're like, no, we st we're still here. And there, and there's mm -hmm. joy or the potential in my case mm -hmm. for joy. The potential is a little, <laughs> 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 like, um, here's a, again, here's a dead deer. So 
Yeah, I'm trying to find this poem. I think it was like a short. Um, it's like I think the last lines is like, I will, I like, I will not, I will not drown. Well, like, I, I like, I, there's this like paradox. Oh yes, yes, yes. I cannot swim and I will not drown. Ooh, first of all, <laughs> I, really I really can't swim. So. <laughs> uh, but like word, right? Like, yeah. and th- yeah, like there, there's so much that resonates there with me too. Like this fear. Mm-hmm. After my own experience, I was terrified of mm-hmm. things that moved my body that felt independent of myself. So like driving a car, mm-hmm. water, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right? Like just like terrified of, of like being in bodies of water, finding myself drowning. Um, and so that I think that, yeah, like I think that that's what makes those li- that line resonate for me because it's like, yeah, like there were times when I felt like that where I was like mm. either terrified of drowning or feeling like drowning, but like word, like I did, <laughs> right? Like, and, yeah. and that, yeah. And that is not, and, and I love what you said about sort of like the unassailability of, of our humanity and like how we build that in our work, because it's like, that, that's, that, that is, um, it is not a thing I thought I could do, but it's also not a superhuman thing. Like I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. that is a human accomplishment, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Survival is a mm-hmm. human accomplishment. Um, that's right. I love, yeah. Like I love black girl magic, but I'm like, yeah. I'm a human being performing that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, let it never be forgotten. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, yeah. yeah, I love that about, yeah. I love that about your work. Um, I just like, I'm not sure that we could like talk as much as we talk without like some really fundamental, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, I mean, I'm not gonna talk about the eight hour conversation, but there sure was one. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I try to think back and remember like what day was that? We were on the phone for that long. But you know, the thing about not remembering, it means that the time must have gone by so quickly that mm-hmm. it, it did not feel mm-hmm. like eight hours. It was just it like- It did, but it sure was. <laughs> talking to my homie in Western New York. Um, that's right, that's right. Um, and that's a part, I mean, like, that's like the non- I, I was thinking, or I was like, man, I wish I had said like, oh, it's non-negotiable because then like negotiations, whatever. Ah, um, you know, it's uh-huh. nice to be clever from time to time. It's nice to be clever. Um, <laughs> but I think I, and that's the other component. That's the other element of still being here is like having community, having friends, having um, chosen family who show up, right? Mm-hmm. And who are willing to just spend quality time. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's one of both of, like, I think both of us, that's one of our big love languages. It's just that quality time of just like, we're just going to show up and be ourselves and like be together for, for a long time Mm -hmm. for like hours and hours and hours. And um, big long time as, as Melissa, (laughs) as Melissa said, a big long time. time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, there's comfort in time. Right. And there's comfort in friendship. Um, And I would, I know that I wouldn't be here were it not for you and my other friends, like, and by here, I just mean like alive, actually, materially, um, that that happens both through the work and outside of the work, apart from the work, you know, yes. and it matters. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Oh my gosh. I, I wouldn't be able to write what I write without my community. I would mm-hmm. not, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, because we've, we've, we've talked a little bit about familial, familial relationships, well, blood family relationships and how complicated mm-hmm. they can be. And 
it's heartbreaking for me to say this, but it, I'm also so grateful that I am able to say this, but I could, there are people in my life that I could not love if I had mm-hmm. not been shown love by my chosen family. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and like queer love, right. Like, or, or, or at least queer in my own upbringing. Like I remember the, like the feeling I had the first time you said, I love you. And I was just like, <gasps> like, like to be <laughs> like all the feelings, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but just how yeah. free that, how, I mean, not free in the sense that like, I could be a jerk, but like free in the sense that like, I didn't have to be anyone other than myself to get that love. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that makes it possible for me then to go back to people who are not necessarily trying to be their best selves. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. and you can be you and I will still love you. I might not be able to be Mm -hmm. around you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But um, that in fact, the best way to practice love, a loving kindness is mm -hmm. to not be around them. Right? Like... That's like, oh, I don't want to treat anybody like way out of pocket who I love. So sometimes that means we can't talk at all. It's great. It's great to have found that route instead of like, oh, I need to be close. I need to be close. I need to be interacting. I need to be interacting. Mm -hmm. And potentially be harmed, um, Mm -hmm. which I've also learned. I think that that, and I think that is also closely related to the writing, like learning from my chosen community that that there are moments when you can choose, you know, n- not to be harmed, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and when I get the chance to do that shit, I take it. I'm like, listen, we ain't got to talk to each other. <laughs> I love you. I can pray for you. All the things, but but you cannot talk to me mm-hmm. the way you're talking to me, or, and you cannot do to me mm-hmm. what you were trying to do to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think in relation to the work, it 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 also for me then becomes a choice about about like what gets out of the of the Mm-hmm. Of, of the private writing space right like mm-hmm. I talk to people all the mm-hmm. time about like there's stories that you should not tell until you're ready like don't mm-hmm. harm yourself yeah 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 and and to extend I mean the thing that I learned from but this both came out of therapy and also just my relationship with my chosen family who is just it's a lot of kind people people who are kind to me like they love me but they're also kind to me they think of me, they consider me, um, you know, like there's something about being considered that is relatively new, right. Being thought of, um, holy is relatively new. And it took me a long time to figure out how to do that for myself, like how to be kind to myself, how to, how to extend the kindness that I had for my friends to myself, like that took so long. And it wasn't until I figured out how to do that, that I could really write the poems about my experiences, um, my experience with my dad, because I needed to be kind to myself in that writing process. I needed to be kind to the reader. That actually Mm. felt important. And I needed to be kind to my speaker, Mm. right? Like I, like creating a figure, you know, through the eye, through the lyric eye, um, <laughs> who was going to recount experiences that were really hard, that were really um, painful. Mm. Sometimes I, like just instinctively, I was like, I'm actually not going to write that down. I'm not going to write down what this word is. I'm not going to write down this phrase because it's too hard for me to say. So I'm not going to ask my speaker to say it. Mm. And I'm not going to ask the reader to read it. Right. It's just like, it's too hard. 
And I think of that as kindness. I think of that as, um, as care. And I think that's what makes the, like these poems feel bearable for me, like that they're in the world, right? That, that there was care taken at all of these different levels. And that was not something that I learned from my family of origin. Mm -hmm. Like, I really wish there was more emphasis on just like being kind and taking care Mm -hmm. of of themselves, right? My mom Mm -hmm. taking care of herself, my sister taking care of herself, Mm -hmm. um, instead of putting other people first, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it, it feels, it feels complicated. Yeah. 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 Tenderness, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, that like love in the absence of tenderness, which just, just makes the, it, it makes such it makes for such a difficult decision for like the recipient right it's like how do I process this love that is happening in the absence of tenderness and in the absence of consideration for me mm-hmm. what and what mm-hmm. I want and what I need and and what mm-hmm. you know helps me bloom and grow and yeah absolutely yeah. um yeah and I do yeah. think that it, Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say I do think that that's an important part of my writing practice. Is like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, the uh, you make me think about some of the poems in the collection where there are like these sort of like bracketed blank spaces. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And the reader is kind of left to fill in what's there. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that that's why. It, mm-hmm. um, I hadn't thought about that, but that's that's real. Yeah. Also, I'm like, that's not anybody's business. <laughs> so there's also there's also that other part you know yeah, I love talking absolutely. about business is that my business is it not my business is that mine is it not mine um yeah I don't know it yeah. feels important mm-hmm. um, yeah it is important but yeah. yeah how has it been for you to have negotiations in the world I don't know that we I mean I know that we've talked about that a little bit privately but mm-hmm. it's it's a challenging book um it's a very present book um I don't know like they're like the feelings in it are, are big mm-hmm. and how has how has it been to, to have it out in the world you know um a couple of things happened shortly before negotiations came out so in the summer of 2020 I had an essay published in the Paris Review Daily called Be Good mm-hmm. it recounts my experience with um uh but my it, recounts in part my assault, my experience with the person who assaulted me. Um, and then there was a second essay that came out in Catapult where I talked about the, the show, I May Destroy You, which came also came out in the mm-hmm. summer of 2020. Ooh, can I tell you something? Okay, so you know that the show, no, I have to, I have to say this, Danica, because you're in France right now and you're close to Italy and I want you to bring this person back to me. Um, <laughs> so, so, <I'm, laughs> so I May Destroy You. You, you know, please, for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I May Destroy You got a ton of Emmy nominations. I'm really excited about it. I love the show. It's an important show. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. Um, and uh, one of the actors, uh, whose name I'm probably not going to say correctly, but uh, Maran Zakti, who plays Biagio, was uh, posted mm-hmm. about the, the nominations in his, in his Instagram stories. And I reacted to it. And he replied. He said, thank you. And he sent me a kissy face. Tadika. I want to marry him and have his children. It's all. It's all. <laughs> Please bring him back to the state. I'll pay for the travel. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. If you're watching, you're beautiful. Wild. You're great. Call me. Wow. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, 
but you know, so I, and those two essays, oh gosh, be good was so hard. Like I turned off my phone. Um, cause I just didn't mm. want to talk to people about it. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, 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 there's always sometimes, you know, as a writer, I presume that like, I mean, I'm not presuming that people are reading my work, but I'm presuming that there are things about me that people just know. Um, uh-huh. and so there's, then there's always a moment when people sort of read something you've written and they're like, I didn't know. Right. And it's, it's, and, um, I, I kind of got a taste of that over the summer with those two essays. And mm-hmm. so when the book came out, it was, it, it, it was much easier. But I think the other reason that it was easier is because I sat with those poems for, for a long time, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, I don't think there was a single poem in that sequence, the sequence that starts every, where every poem starts with my rapist. I don't think any of them came out before the book was out. I don't believe like, because there were just, there are just some things that I, for me, there's some things that need to exist together. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So it was, it was important for, um, and it was important for me to sort of hold on to them for, for as long as I needed to you know uh-huh. I mean I I knew that they needed to be in the book that was a the realization of that was a process but it was a, it too was a process that I experienced you know in solitude and and with with my communities like talking uh-huh. to my friends some of whom are also survivors and being able to be held in those really private spaces actually made the publication of the book easier for me I sometimes uh-huh. wonder like what people think about me after they've read it and I mean for like two seconds and then I just let it go because it's not important um, but I, I'm often, but I am sometimes often shocked that like people are so like distraught because I'm like, oh, well, you know, like, you know, I, I am, I am well, I'm very fortunate to be well. And, you know, these things did happen. They are a part uh-huh. of my history, but, um, your experience in them for the first time is not my experience in them for the first uh-huh. time. And so, uh-huh. um, I just think that's really helpful that I, that uh-huh. I, I wrote those poems and I revised them and I talked about them in spaces where I felt completely safe. And that's mm-hmm. the foundation on which that book rests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's great. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's good to hear that. It's good to know that. I think my reaction often to people who are like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's so, my experience was so regular as mm. it turns out, mm. right? It, like, and that's the thing that I, I think is horrifying <laughs> is that it's regular, mm-hmm. that it's not uncommon. If it were uncommon, that would be one thing. I would be, oh, yes, yes, yes. So I'm like, this is very, I am not alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that that's, uh, I think that's also sometimes shocking for people or jarring for people to hear someone say that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To hear someone yeah. say, actually, like, no, nah, it was not great. It totally sucked. It messed me up for a long time, but mm-hmm. also very regular um yeah I remember having a conversation with an editor um like like one of the essays editors and um you know I he was trying really hard to sort of like make sure I was okay you know like mm-hmm. on the cusp mm-hmm. of the publication and um he said something to the effect I, I it was like are, are you safe you know do you do you feel like you you can do this without being harmed and I was like you know I do. And I think that one of the reasons that this is important to me is because I, I am sure I was not my assailant's first mm. victim. And I, I, I'm also sure that I was not the last. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's, and I think that he was taken aback by that, but I think it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that it, that's also one of the things that makes the public that makes the books being out in the world, 
um, um, somewhat manageable because I know that there are other people carrying these stories and carrying these traumas. And what I am most hopeful that my work does is sort of makes clear that like you are not the only one because abuse mm-hmm. often happens in isolation and and in the fiction mm-hmm. of ice you know the ways mm-hmm. in which an abuser creates this fiction of isolation that you are mm-hmm. the only one or that you're special or that you are right or mm-hmm. that you are, you are the mm-hmm. one who deserves this and so mm-hmm. I am happy that my book makes it clear that that is just that's a lie yeah yeah and I it, it was important for me like in a similar way um, to also just be like, there's something on the other side. Mm -hmm. This is not, my life did not stop Mm -hmm. with this abuse. My life has continued. I have in fact flourished. Um, like I'm in a period of flourishing. I'm not sure how that happened. Uh, except (laughs) that I think it's like, it's, it's my, it's my folks. Right. It's me and my folks. Like we, we, we hold each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. But also like, it took a lot of work and that, but that work, and I think this gets back to what we were talking about at the beginning, the work of centering what I need, Mm -hmm. right. Has directly led to the flourishing that I'm experiencing. Mm. Right. That I was like, I want to be held in loving kindness. Mm. Right. I want to be around people who, um, have who want to 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 be good (laughs) right Mm -hmm. like I'm around like a lot of uh writers who are writing work that I'm so excited by and that feels that's deliberate that's a choice um and it's a choice to I don't know prioritize that and that and that quality time that we were talking about earlier um over many many other things you know, uh, and I think that's led to, and when I say flourishing, I don't necessarily, I don't really mean professionally. I mean, like emotionally, I mean, in terms of my relationships, mm-hmm. um, it's just, I, I feel so fortunate. I feel so loved, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like, I couldn't have imagined it, mm-hmm. you know? And so I want that also to be in the book. I think it's like a little, there's a little glimmer of that, like right at the end, but, mm-hmm. but I think even that whole last section is like, I'm still here you know yeah in a Sondheim musical yeah (laughs) the deer didn't make it but I did the deer did not make it uh but I was there to see the deer yeah um that was wild and we we don't have time to talk about that but that was that was weird that was weird so yeah oh nature can be weird I think yeah um is that are we at our time for a song uh yeah it's 11 30 where I am so (laughs) Yeah. I, right, right. I was about to say something else, but I, I guess we, we could, we could end here. Any final thoughts? Any, anything we didn't cover? I mean, oh, there's I always know. more, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like we'll talk later. So yes, right, right. <laughs> Nate, thank you, thank you in the chat. <laughs> um. Yeah. Tanika and Destiny, I think just on behalf of everyone um, listening, that that was a privilege. And uh, I feel like we're all going to love better today because of what we heard from, from both of you. And that's just, I mean, I'm going to go see my daughter after this. I'm, I'm going to love her better today because of, of sort of mm. spending time with, with all of you. So um, thank you. One thing we've been talking uh, about this week, a question we've been posing 
to, to everyone is sort of, and it feels very appropriate, I think to end maybe on this note, is I, I was hoping both of you could say what you love about your work, your own work. And do we even have enough time for that? <laughs> <laughs> Destiny, I think you ought to go because you know, I'm going. Um, oh gosh, what do I love about my work? I think first and foremost, I love that I get to do it. I feel so damn lucky to get to wake up every day and put words on paper. I, oh, I mean, I, it, it's, it's been my dream since I was a kid um, and it's terrifying. It's scary. Like writing full time. I, I am, I am anxious. <laughs> I am worried about stuff all the time, but I still get to wake up every morning and do what I fucking love. And I, that's what I love about the work in a general sense. I think in terms of the work and what I do in the work, um, I love that I am uh, more honest with myself than I've ever been. Um, I love that I get to write about Black people. I, I love that I get to write about Black women. I love that I get to write about being queer. I love that I get to write about albinism. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I I, I love that I get to write about the things that matter to me. That's so beautiful, so beautifully said, Destiny. <laughs> um, I'm gonna be real, just like basic. I mean, I just really love my own poems. Like I just love them. I love reading them. I love writing them. I love the process of writing. Where even if I'm like, there's like the struggle of trying to articulate something, I, my life, at this like really close to the very center of my life alongside me I'm getting closer um I get to make art that like and it's just like it feels whole cloth in some way it's just like make it I'm like where does it come from it feels like magic mm-hmm. right it's like how does anybody write a poem it's it's I mean I like there are craft things you know oh yes the line and then the rhyme or whatever whatever but it's just like there's like a there's like some magic thing that happens and I love just ha- knowing that that's inside of me like there's like a little piece of something that knows how to make a little like sad experience into something golden, you know? Uh, it's just, I don't know, like that's dope. <laughs> and I don't know, I like reading my poems too. I love that. Uh, I feel so lucky that's what I get to do. It's, I would, I, I did not think this would happen when I was a kid because I could not see any future, any way to any kind of future when I was young and that this is what happened just feels like, all right, cool, bet, let's go, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, that's what I'll say. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I think that just being here makes me feel like the future is bright. Um, and uh, again, just behalf on everyone, I really thank you for uh, allowing us to sort of sit in on your friendship. That's really, that, 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 that's a gift. This is so wonderful. This is, I'm so glad we were able to do this. Destiny, thank you for, for wanting to talk to me. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I love you. <laughs> I love you too, friend. Travel right. safely. Have thank a good rest of your day. And thank you, Lance. <laughs> thank you, Lance. Thank you. Today's was recorded at the 2021 Tin House Summer Writers Workshop and at the volunteer-powered, non-commercial, listener-sponsored, full-strength, makeshift home office of me, David Naiman. To find more work by Destiny Birdsong, 
and Danica Kelly, head to destinybirdsong.com and danikakelly.com, respectively. And if you enjoy what you've heard, consider becoming a listener supporter of Between the Covers. There are many potential benefits to becoming a supporter from the bonus audio archive with contributions by Douglas Kearney, John Keane, Natalie Diaz, Hanif Abdul-Rakib, Laylee Long Soldier, Garth Greenwell, and many others. To the Tin House early readership, receiving 12 books over the course of a year, months before they're available to the general public. These are just a few of many other things. You can find out more about becoming a listener supporter of Between the Covers at patreon.com slash between the covers. Or if you prefer a one-time donation, you can do so by PayPal at tinhouse.com slash support. I'd like to thank the Tin House team, Elizabeth DeMeo and Elisa Ogie in the book division, Jacob Valla in the art department, Becky Kramer in publicity, and Lance Cleland, the director of the Summer and Winter Tin House Writers Workshops. Finally, I'd like to thank Imre Lodbrog and Barbara Browning for creating the outro. Their album, Imre Lodbrog, Isa Petita Me, can be found on iTunes. And Barbara Browning's trove of ukulele covers can be found at soundcloud.com slash Barbara Browning.